for trainers, collectives, and individuals that were looking for a program to follow that was chud-free, or perhaps one that came directly from us, there is Liberation Martial Arts Online. Thanks to Joseph Roca, Revolutionaries Garden, and Kwame X for signing up. If you want to sign up for Liberation Martial Arts Online or want to increase your financial support for the Southpaw Project, you can find special tiers on our Patreon. If you'd like to listen to all of our shows without any breaks or interruptions, you can also find uncut versions of our shows also on Patreon. This is Sam. And this is Southpaw. This episode was sponsored by Chad Loader, SH, M. Shelton, Berkshire People's Gym, and New Guy. On this Southpaw, we have our friends from the Neighborhood Martial Arts Project. Thank you all for being here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Now let's start with introductions. Let's start with you, Miles. Can you introduce yourself and give us some background on how you got into martial arts, radical politics, and how those things ended up combining into this project? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, I've been into martial arts since I was a little kid, um, kind of, you know, influenced by my dad. Um, he kind of, you know, got some of the early UFCs on tape. Um, I was like fascinated by the jujitsu after I saw that. I, um, I, there was really nothing around me. So I did um, traditional martial arts up until I was a teenager. I did a style called Shorin Ru. It's a pretty hard kind of direct line style. We did a lot of hard sparring, which was a little unusual for traditional martial arts at the time. Um, and so, yeah, I, but throughout that period, I was always interested in grappling, wrestling, jujitsu. Um, and so finally, when I got to college, there was a jujitsu club, um, just like I think one day a week. Uh, but I really like instantly fell in love from the first time. And I had, you know, heel hooked my brother a bunch when I was a kid, like looking up all the <laughs> the instructionals. But um, yeah, actually getting into like, a, you know, learning some some technique and stuff. I, I was hooked from that point. Um, and yeah, I started training in Philadelphia um, after college. And I've been training for about, I'd say since, you know, that was like 2009-ish. So I've been training since about then. I got my black belt in 2019, the beginning of 2019. Um, in terms of my politics, um, you know, I've always, you know, kind of similarly, my, my parents were both uh, left liberals. Um, and so I've always kind of been, um, you know, interested in, in left politics, but just very politically naive. Um, and, you know, kind of, I would say sometime, maybe a little bit before the rise of Trump, um, I, I just... You know, I was living in the suburbs um, and, you know, through conversations online and just like reading and studying kind of started to shift to the left. Um, and, you know, over that period, I, you know, I moved to Philadelphia, did get involved in some organizing. I was with the DSA for a little while. Um, Lilac, which is a group that kind of broke off from DSA, um, done some organizing there. I've also been involved in, you know, the bail fund and some other kind of campaigns like that. Um, and I, I was I was just saying to Sam before the recording, I cannot remember how I first got involved with the um, the the original project that birthed Neighborhood Martial Arts Project. But um, basically, it was like two blocks away from my house, 
And, you know, in my experience with jujitsu, so from the time I was a little kid, the instructor that um, of my original karate school was a, um, a prison guard, basically. And so from my early, and I'd always been kind of had like, you know, left instincts, I would say. Um, and so from the time I was really young, I always had kind of separated in my head, like, okay, I go to these like right wing spaces to learn martial arts. And then I have my, you know, political ideas that are separate. Um, and so like, you know, seeing the, 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 that there was like a leftist martial arts space, um, I just, you know, reached out and got in touch with them and, you know, it was pretty early on in the project. And so, um, yeah, that's how I kind of got involved in that. And then through that period, um, you know, for the first like year or two, I think of, of being involved, I uh, was still like teaching at the old jujitsu school I had taught at or that I had, I had, um, went to before, um, still training here and there. And then really like kind of the, um, the uprisings in 2020 were just kind of like a, a breaking point for me where I just like decided, you know, I just can't like in good conscience and as, you know, a, a leftist be teaching cops how to hurt people more effectively. Um, and, you know, we also need to kind of, you know, build our own, our own spaces, for the people that most need to learn martial arts. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how the, the two married for me. And Jelani, one of the OG squad members of Southpaw and now OG member of NMAP. Tell us about yourself and your journey to NMAP or Neighborhood Martial Arts Project. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm, I, I'm actually kind of like the newbie uh, for the Neighborhood Martial Arts Project, both... Um, Miles and uh, Alejandro, shout out to Alejandro, uh, who wasn't able to make it on uh, tonight. Um, they uh, they found me, and we kind of found each other at like the perfect time, and it, it has just been it's just been kind of a great relationship. Um, but uh, similar to Miles, like I've been interested in martial arts since I was a kid. You know, I um, came up in a house that was like pretty political, but sort of definitely um, like not. I wouldn't say radical. Um, but political in the sense that like, you know, um, really, you know, um, anti-militarism and those sorts of things. So I wasn't allowed to play with guns. Um, and I wasn't allowed to like, you know, like, um, even like watch TV shows that had like, you know, guns and, you know, and violence in them. But, um, martial arts was okay. Um, and similar to miles in part because of my dad, my dad was, um, um, did Taekwondo, um, when I was, you know, when I was younger and I remember just kind of being like blown away, like the first time he like, I watched him like, you know, punch through a block of wood. I was like, oh my God, like the potential is endless. Um, uh, I didn't, it, I, I tried a couple of different things at various points in my life. Like I tried Taekwondo when I was a kid, but I actually didn't really like it very much. Um, and then, you know, when I was in college, um, there was like, um, there was a, a Kung Fu, um, like kind of study group, but all the Kung Fu students, they were all really, really good, but they were all dancers, like just like their flexibility, their coordination, their dexterity were just things I didn't have. And so I got kind of discouraged uh, with that pretty early on too. Um, for me, like a lot of my um, like actual martial arts training um, kind of started um, around the time, around like, uh, I think it was 2004, when um, the Republican National Convention was held in New York, and I was working in New York um, 
And so in the job that I worked, sometimes I'd have like a late shift. And there's one particular night that I remember um, when um, I was walking through uh, Times Square to get to uh, the subway. And mind you, by this time, I'd also like taken some Aikido classes and stuff like that. And I still hadn't really found what I would, had kind of was looking for. But I had this encounter um, when I was walking to the train because um, like, the RNC, like, basically, they, like, basically occupied New York. Um, and there were just these, like, it was, honestly, it was, like, some, frankly, some Star Wars shit, where you'd be walking down Broadway, and there's, like, this massive phalanx of, like, like, 75 cops just lined up. And I'm walking past, and, you know, like, you know, at that point in time, I was, like, maybe, like, you know, uh, what, like 24, 25 um, year old, you know, black man. Um, and I was just sort of like, just trying to hold my shit together long enough to get to the subway. Um, and as I finally come to this, like, seemingly like endless wall of cops, one of them grabs me by my shoulder. Um, and I remember like being like feeling really tense, feeling like really afraid. And he, you know, he says to me, where are you going? And I shrugged my shoulder out of his grip. And I just looked, I looked at him over my shoulder and I went home. Cause it was like 1130 at night. It was just kind of like, fuck off, man. Um, and so as I started to walk off, he started to turn towards me, but like the very last cop at the end of that, like line of cops, like stopped him. And I sat like, and I, you know, done this subway station, got on the train and the whole time, you know, I'm on the train. I'm thinking about like what would have or could have happened um, had like there not been like that modicum of like of restraint. And it was at that point I was like, I need to learn how to do something. Um, and then, you know, um, um, my partner um, was pregnant with uh, with with our first uh, born at that time. And I was also like, I just, you know, I I'd never, you know, like never had any of those like martial arts power fantasies. You know what I'm saying? Like I didn't imagine I was going to go out like double, you know, like double jump kicking cops and shit. Um, but I wanted at least to have something and to have some kind of ability to handle myself just because of like that, that loss of physical agency at that moment in time was really palpable. And then just particular being particularly just being a, you know, a black person, you know, in this country, like your physical agency is like, you know, is, is like, is, is vulnerable in all sorts of situations. Um, so I, I kind of started a traditional martial arts route because, again, I wasn't really, like, you know, I wasn't trying to, like, be a badass. I just wanted to know how to handle myself. Um, and then um, uh, around, like, 2013 um, is when I kind of started um, entering into um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and, um, and started making that, like, the main art that I pursued. Um, I moved to Philly in uh, the summer of 2018 um, and uh, started training um, at a gym uh, here. And um, and similar to what Miles was talking about, like, yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty, I think in a lot of ways, if you're anything like kind of like left of, um, of like, you know, like liberal, you and you train martial arts and especially if you train you know jujitsu um there's a 
you're doing some compartmentalizing. Um, um, and, you know, and I think for me, you know, thinking about like the compartmentalizing that I had to do, like when I went to work every day, wasn't that different um, with going to the gym, except that like, I felt like I had to do it more. And, and less in the sense of like justifying, like, you know, training with a bunch of people that like, I'm, you know, that like, I could just generally assume were, you know, were pretty fucking reactionary. Um, but also just like just protecting myself and just being, having to be aware of like, okay, like, you know, I don't like once it becomes clear that like, you know, that I'm a, you know, that I'm, that I'm a leftist, you know, radical that like, you know, that's going to affect both my, not just my relationships, because my relationships in the gym, like, you know, I always, you know, got along with everyone really well, but like, I was always very, I never hung out. It was never like my like social scene, which I think happens a lot, especially in jujitsu. Um, where it was like, I come to class, I train hard, I go home, that's it. Um, but like, you know, but all the things that you have to do, particularly, you know, if you have, you know, if you, if you have like, if you come from a marginalized background, like, you know, paying attention to people's tattoos because <laughs> you're like, oh, that's a fucking dog whistle right there. This guy might be a literal Nazi, um, you know, and, and, you know, and, and, and shit like that. And so um, by around, by like 20, uh, by tw- about, by like midway through 2019, I was starting to get like less than comfortable, um, you know, where I was at. And then um, around the end of 2019, I'd sort of decided like to kind of branch out and, you know, and try to check out um, some other spots that I thought might have been uh, a better fit. And that's actually around the time when I, um, when I found out about, you know, the, um, the, uh, the space that, you know, is like now kind of evolved into the neighborhood martial arts project. Um, and, um, and then, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to start cross training there. Um, I got my brown belt, um, uh, in early 2020. Um, and so it's like, okay, you know, trying to figure out like, you know, um, when I could find, you make some time to cross train. Cause you know, I mean, Sam, you know, like when you're a parent, like finding time to do anything is, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a lot. So, um, and so like, basically like, um, by the time, while I was still figuring all that out, like, you know, bam, COVID hits, everything is locked down. Um, and similar to, you know, what Miles was saying, you know, um, and particularly for me, there was like a lot of, for people that I knew at the gym where I, you know, where I'd been training, um, you know, fellow students and instructors, there were like some real mask off moments where we're both, it was like a, just on an ethical and moral and like, you know, my, my, you know, my deepest beliefs, um, not only can I never train with you again, <laughs> but like, um, we're enemies. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so basically I, I ended up, uh, I ended up leaving that gym and, and, you know, and burning like every single bridge, uh, to it, um, with all the glee I could, I could muster. Um, and then, you know, so, you know, it's like, God, I think it was like, maybe, it was like mid June, and I'm, you know, it's just like me in my basement, um, getting my son to train with me every now and then, um, and then like, you know, um, doing some uh, some some kids uh, basement jujitsu with my daughter and my niece, um, 
And then I get an email from a guy that was uh, friends with uh, a, a friend who'd also left that gym for many of the same, for like a lot of the same reasons. Um, it was like, hey, um, there's a friend of mine that I think you should meet because I think you have a lot of common. And I realized like, oh, this is actually the same group of people <laughs> that I was looking to cross train with before everything went down. Um, and we started doing um, uh, classes on Zoom, essentially like solo drills uh, classes. And they, you know, and for me, it was a great way to kind of get started with doing some teaching, which I hadn't really done, um, which I felt was important to kind of do um, as a brown belt. Um, and then, like, you know, we um, just developed like a really strong friendship. Um, the three of us, like, doing that together, like, week after week after week for like, God, Miles, was that like eight, nine, ten months? We did that shit for a while. It kind of slowed down at the end, but I think we hit a one year anniversary. Yeah, no, you're right. We did. We did. And we did it. Like, we did that shit for a year, which was like great. And then basically, you know, once, um, once we were all vaccinated, we set up like a whole training protocol. And since I had mats in my basement, I was just like, come over. We can train whenever we want. And so, uh, so we did that for almost another year. Um, and then, um, it was like around this past spring or summer, we decided to kind of come out of the basement and we wanted to, um, to, to start a community gym. This is the wholesome basement, not the blue basement this, full yes, of uh, yes, reactionaries yes. and fashion. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, you know, and then, you know, we started uh, talking with a couple of neighborhood um, um, organizations and wanted to put together, you know, uh, you know, a program. And, you know, and we ended up uh, finding a really, you know, connected with a really great um, uh, group, um, the North Square Community Alliance, shout to them. Um, and um, we worked out a really good deal um, for a really amazing uh, space. And uh, that's where like, that's where we've been. Now, what is the Neighborhood Martial Arts Project? Yeah, so I mean, kind of the, one of the, a few of the founding impetuses for the gym were, for one, um, kind of going back all the way to 2018, a lot of us kind of started to really become um, or like look to disassociate from Brazilian jiu-jitsu and MMA around the rise of Bolsonaro. Um, you know, a lot of like the luminaries of the jiu-jitsu world were very vocal about their support for him. And um, and so, you know, and, and that kind of actually spilled in not as much to my gym, but I know a lot of the other um, gyms around the area, um, especially like that had either a head instructor or some instructors that were Brazilian, um, you know, were kind of like bringing that into the gym and kind of talking, you know, pro Bolsonaro talking points in class and stuff. So that, um, you know, was one thing where it was kind of like, okay, you know, if they can, you know, pull use this as a platform for their right-wing politics, you know, for one, we don't want to be a part of that, but also, you know, maybe we can kind of do something similar um, for our politics. And I do know another big um, inspiration for Alejandro in particular um, was a Jim and Buenos Aires, uh, what was it called? The Cultura del Barrio, I believe. Um, it's basically an anti-fascist gym. Um, they have like boxing and Muay Thai. He went and visited it and was, you know, just very moved and impressed by their program. Um, and one of the biggest things that struck him was, you know, there was a lot of kind of, of involvement from the community and the neighborhood. And even people who weren't, you know, fighting and training would stop in, support the gym. 
Um, he even told us a story about a time that they were like raided by the police and the neighborhood came out to defend them. Um, so that was definitely a huge inspiration. Um, and I know other members um, had had, you know, had been to similar um, types of gyms, I think, in Mexico and Colombia. Um, so there, um, I'm not sure if that's if it's like a cohesive movement or anything like that. But um, there seemed to be, you know, there was a lot of inspiration from, um, you know, South America and Latin America and um, the, the kind of popular gyms, community type gyms there. Um, so that's definitely a model that, you know, has always inspired us. Um, and that's always been a major focus of ours is, you know, to be focused on, on building community and not really in kind of like the, you know, um, <laughs> liberal, uh, very nebulous sense. Like we actually want to help get the community more organized. So there's places for people to go if they have a, you know, a certain need and ways to connect different organizations within the community. Um, um, and that's, you know, that's another, you know, kind of area where we're, we're looking to, or, or we've been able to, um, you know, kind of uh, put down roots and establish kind of relationships before we actually had a, another landlord, another organization that we rented from previously that are kind of, that we have a good relationship with still, um, that we rented for just a few months before we moved into our space here. Um, so yeah, trying to kind of be, a you know, connection between some of these different places, um, and a, a space where members of the community can, you know, work out together, build relationships. Um, and yeah, and then also, you know, uh, I know, especially recently, you know, we've been very inspired by a lot of the things that you're doing with Southpaw, um, that some kind of comrades in the Southpaw orbit have been involved in um, and trying to kind of counter some of the, you know, the, the right wing culture in the martial arts community. Um, so, yeah, we're hoping to be kind of um, a, you know, a, a liberatory space in a, what is usually otherwise not a very, uh, is a typically a very reactionary environment. So I don't know if Jelani, if you have anything to add to that. One of the things that I think, um, is, um, is important. And Miles kind of touched on this earlier when he was kind of talking about his background a bit, but like thinking about how, um, politics and physical culture, um, kind of overlap. Um, and, um, and I think, particularly for those of us who are on the left, um, there's a lot of potential, um, both in terms of, you know, like organizing, um, in terms of like strengthening, you know, um, our communities, like our gym is, a, is in a predominantly black and brown um, community. Um, and also for, you know, for autonomy that people often don't feel again particularly you know if you're marginalized in in one way or the other um martial arts is a really i would i would particularly on the left is really underutilized tool both in terms of just like straight up organizing but also in terms of just um doing something for your community as it exists um and so that's one of the things that I think um, is really important and definitely keeps me um, motivated with what we're doing is um, just what that can offer people. Um, um, and, and that's kind of what I think of in terms of being like a liberatory space. Um, it being a space where, you know, um, you don't have to worry about like, 
um, you're, you know, or being cagey about, you know, um, about your identity and who you are, because you know, there are people that are going to have, if not a physically violent reaction to it, at least like a socially violent one, or a verbally violent one, you know, particularly, you know, if you're, you know, if you're gay, you know, or trans or have to deal with like, you know, people saying, you know, racist Trumpy shit, <laughs> you know, in the locker room and stuff like, you know what I'm saying? And stuff like that. And being able to create a space where people are able to, they don't have to do that compartmentalizing where they're able to, um, train that they way that they want to be able to train and learn you know, the arts that they want to learn without having to make any compromises about, you know, who they are and, you know, um, you know, in, in what they believe. Um, and so in that respect, like, I think, um, what the neighborhood martial arts project, you know, what I, what I think it, it does at its best is first of all, like offer that to people, you know, um, within our orbit. Um, but also, kind of show people that like you don't have to train with bigoted assholes <laughs> to learn martial arts like you don't <laughs> um you know and particularly at various points you know for all of our um experiences in martial arts like there were you know like relatively limited places that you could go but that's just not the reality anymore and it doesn't have to be um and i think the more that people understand that there are that not only not only do alternatives exist, but like they can be built and they can continue, they can be continually built. And if we can put ourselves into those sorts of projects, um, even if it's just, you know, a, even if it's just a small training group, um, we can do a lot to both hopefully, you know, um, get martial arts culture out of like, you know, the right wing, like, you know, bog that has been, you know, trapped in for a very 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 long time um but also be able to create like parallel structures so not only are you able to sort of like escape it but you can also start the process of starving the beast um um and that way you know not only do you get something that's liberatory in terms of just like your own training experience you get something liberatory where like you can open up martial arts to people that may not have like a lot of the things that you that people need in order to be successful in training with martial arts, like i.e., like expendable income, you know, or you know, like the you know being able to buy, you know, gis or gloves or you know or or tie pads or whatever, right? Um, and to be able to remove those barriers, you know, as well, um, and make make it so that martial arts can be like a popularly practiced thing that doesn't require you to have like started when you were 12 and you've got a private tutor or like, you know, your entire life is built around, you know, being the best at this, you know, at this martial art. Um, and instead like, you know, like training for, you know, your own life, you know, in, in like your own well-being, um, training as part of like community defense, um, and community wellness. Um, for communities that already exist, like, you know, I think one of the most powerful things, like from talking to, to folks, you know, around the, the, the neighborhood of the gym and particularly, you know, um, people who, uh, are from the North square, um, uh, community alliance, like having conversations about how, 
you know, for like young people from, you know, like really like late middle school through high school, if you're not an athlete that plays like, you know, basketball or football or like a major sport, there's literally nothing for you. And just that sort of that, that void that's kind of left there can be filled by a lot of things, right? And so if, if it can be filled um, by a space that is, you know, that is inclusive, um, is a space that is like fundamentally anti-racist, that is fundamentally, you know, socialist and therefore anti-capitalist, um, and that um, is also about like kind of removing, you know, a lot of like the really shitty hierarchies that exist in martial arts, then like there, there's a lot that, that people can gain from that, you know, on a, on a bunch of different levels. And so for me, those things I think are really, really important, um, in terms of what we're, in in terms of what we're doing and, and what also is possible to be done, like not just by us, but really, you know, by anyone that is, is on the left and, and involved in martial arts in some way, shape or form. For people listening, like what area are you in so they can be like, oh, I'm here, I could go there. NMAP is, uh, is located in Kensington, you know, so we're, we're up in North Philly. Um, look us up, check us out. Okay, in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia area. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kensington is one of like, one of the things about like Kensington is that it, it does, there is a, you know, um, there is a bit of like a kind of like regional stigma attached to it. Like it's the, you know, it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's the rough and, you know, quote unquote, like dangerous part, um, of the city. But, you know, it's, again, it's, 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 a, it's, these are largely working class, largely, um, black and brown communities that are systematically neglected. <laughs> I was looking at a map, like just the other month about like just trash collection in Philly and dumping in philly and this is an area where when developers are you know are doing their like massive gentrification projects like kensington is where they illegally dump all of their shit right um and it's also an area where like garbage pickup isn't as regular as other parts of um the city where like you know like university of pennsylvania professors tend to live and you know, and things like that. Um, so yeah, so that's also an important part of, of, I think, um, about what we're, you know, what we're doing is that it's, you know, it's, um, it's, uh, it's a neighborhood where, um, you know, where as a, as a group, um, there are, you know, there are roots, um, you know, all hundreds lived there for, you know, for a long time. Miles lived there for a long time. Again, I'm relatively new to the area, so I don't really count that much. And again, I'm also a new guy. Um, but having, Deciding to um, to set up our gym there, similar to you know um, to the previous project, um, was you know was an intentional choice for those for those very reasons. We've all seen the memes of like how like you know you can tell your neighborhood is getting gentrified like when it's you know when there's a when there's a Starbucks and like a yoga studio, right? But I think in a lot of ways like like expensive martial arts gyms are also are 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 also that an indicator of that too, and so. And for those same reasons, because those things are not meant for the people that already live there, right? So they're meant for the people that they're trying to attract to those areas. And so having a place, you know, that is meant for the people, you know, who are already there, who are, you know, who have, you know, who are, who are being systematically neglected, I think is also a really important thing. 
a note to our listeners. If you love the Southpaw Project, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by financially supporting us on Patreon. This will give you access to exclusive bonus content, like early releases of Southpaw Deep Space Nine, our fictional narrative podcast, Fighters Brew, break-free versions of our shows without interruptions like you're hearing now, bonus articles, Fighters Brew transcripts with extra content, Liberation Martial Arts Online, as well as our private chat group on Discord. You can also make one-time donations at Ko-Fi or show your solidarity by wearing our swag. You can find all pertinent links at southpawpod.com. So how does this vision that you two have laid out play into how you run things, teach things, the people you want to attract, and the culture you want to cultivate and have? I guess one of the big things is um, it would definitely be much easier for us to go kind of a commercial model, not in the sense of like, you know, our charging members more and stuff, but more so like, you know, really cast as wide a net as possible, do some advertising, um, you know, really aggressively look to build membership and kind of like in a, you know, just like a, a, almost like if you build it, they will come kind of model. So if we get big enough, you know, then we can compete and, um, you know, with some of these right wing gyms and start to attract more, more people. It, we kind of put our, our politics more front and center. So our, our project is kind of guided by our political vision. Um, and so, you know, we are closed membership. Um, you know, we ask people and also if anybody is looking to drop in, you know, shoot us a message first. Um, so, you know, we, we do kind of vet people. Um, we are organized as a cooperative. Um, you know, we, we are a nonprofit, like we've registered as a nonprofit. We're organized as a cooperative. So we have a steering committee, but any, you know, major decisions we, we put to our membership. Um, not that we, you know, we're small enough at this point. We just have like a informal discussion during class, but <laughs> eventually that's the idea. Um, and so, yeah, and, and we try to stay, we try to take a step back periodically. Um, to look at things through that like political lens and uh, make adjustments as we as we need to. Um, in in practice, um, you know, we also try to instead of just like saying, you know, this is what you need to learn in jujitsu. You know, we try to kind of tailor everything based on like getting better as a collective. Um, so we're not trying to produce like the best champion. Um, we're really trying to like, you know. Uh, grow as grow as a collective, and so you know some of the like we have one member right now who's looking to compete soon. Um, so that's probably going to be one of our big focuses as a group. It, you know, he's going to be competing. Let's work together to figure out how to like come up with a game plan. Um, and you know, how, what can I learn from helping him prepare to compete? How can I learn how to help other people? You know, prepare to compete better. So you know, you can. There's a lot of ways to grow in martial arts that don't involve like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm going to learn how to do this better, or, you know, I'm going to learn how to beat more people. Um, you can also, if, if you're being intentional about it, um, learn how to be a better, you know, a better partner for people to drill with. You can learn how to be, um, you know, better support, um, outside of the gym to people to help their, their growth in the gym. Um, so yeah, so in that's, those are some of the kind of the ways that are, 
vision, uh, hopefully, you know, is translated and will be translated into practice. Yeah, that that collective piece is like really important. And it's kind of, um, I think, guides our approach to, to pretty much everything, um, even down to just like how we run, um, you know, our class sessions, um, like for our jujitsu classes, like Miles teaches some, I teach some, we co-teach some, we talk about what we're teaching. Alejandro is, um, is among other things, a um, he's a certified yoga instructor. So we are, you know, we're 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 doing uh you know like fifteen minutes of yoga flow um for you know for our warm ups when we start and so like there's kind of something collective to like really everything that we do um and um and like Miles says it comes down to how we make decisions in the gym um it's definitely like reflected in the way that we treat health and safety um particularly, you know, with like, you know, with COVID and, you know, and other stuff and, um, and how like, you know, a, how we kind of maintain like a, a basic safety protocol that not only involves like making, you know, people taking like semi-regular, semi-regular, you know, rapid tests. So that way we can, you know, so that way we can keep each other safe as well as ourselves. Um, but then also, you know, making sure that, you know, that we're actually able to, you know, provide free tests for um, people who may not be able to afford one now that like they're not doing that for free anymore. Like, you know, that's something that we take on collectively ourselves to provide. So that way that doesn't become a barrier. And we don't also have to make a choice between like people being able to train and like, you know, and then, you know, being as, as safe as humanly possible about it. So, um, so like that, 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 co- that, that, collective ethos is like really core to what we do and it's core not just because like we talk about it but because it's embedded in you know like how we set things up how we make decisions how you know how we think about things how um you know we're pretty we're pretty constantly um looking for um input from each other um and from you know uh and and from our collective as a whole now what classes are available right now and what classes do you want to add? Right now, uh, Miles and I um, are, uh, are, are, are two jiu-jitsu instructors. So we've been uh, running class uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays um, in the evening. Um, we are looking to add a couple of things. Uh, we definitely want to be able to add some community yoga. That's like something that's like really, really important to Alejandro um, and to all of us. And, um, and that's something that I think would be particularly awesome. Uh, we, we would also very much like to start getting in, um, start developing a striking program, try to recruit a striking instructor. Um, cause that's something that I think would entice probably more people, um, than, than jujitsu would, uh, jujitsu does have, tend to have a more of a niche, um, audience. Um, and, um, yeah, those are, those are the two big things um, that like, you know, that we've been talking about, but you know, there's, there's certainly more. So then is NMAP trying to be more than just like a radical BJJ gym, but more of a non-denominational gym as far as activity, like a gym, not just a BJJ gym. Yeah. I mean, part is, part of it, I think is really is part of that is really draws from the community aspect because not everyone is going to be interested in jujitsu and that's, that's fine. And we don't necessarily want everyone to be interested in jujitsu or feel like that's what they have to do. Like, obviously I think you know, there's a lot to be uh, derived from it. There's a lot 
uh, to benefit from it. There's a lot of like really cool stuff to learn. But, you know, but I think it's also important to kind of like meet if you're trying to do something that's has that has like an authentic basis, you know, in a community, you very much want and need to respect um, that, you know, that community and kind of, you know, where they're at and like, you know, where their interests and priorities lie. Um, so, you know, so in that respect, like, you know, um, having striking classes, I think would be really good because that's also something that we could we could schedule on days when, you know, like Miles and I can teach Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Like, you know, we were, like I was saying before, like we don't, we're not the kind of people that like, you know, um, have, you know, like tons of expendable income or, you know, have all the free time and we can teach every single day. Um, that's sort of like the maximum, <laughs> you know, um, that we can teach. Um, but we also don't want that to be a limitation, you know, for people because, you know, again, there are people that are going to be working Monday, Wednesday, and Friday evenings. And so we want to make sure that we, you know, I, we want to be able to make sure that something is available for them too. So um, being able to have, you know, classes that appeal to different interests, um, particularly, you know, people that are more interested in striking than grappling. And then also for people that aren't necessarily interested in, you know, in martial arts, but like, you know, um, would be interested in taking a yoga class a couple times a week. You know, I think that that would provide not only benefit, you know, for them, but then also helps to make, to help expand the gym, like as a, you know, as a community space. So something I've talked about a lot, which is bi-directionality. And it seems like this gym is all about that, where it's not just about you deciding we do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, we're going to thrust that upon the community. It's also listening to what the community wants and trying to meet them and try to offer that as well. Yeah, exactly. So you're speaking to a lot of listeners who are socially conscious. Are you all in need of more volunteers? It's a good chance to talk about things that y'all need. Yeah, I mean, we definitely would love to have more participants for sure. Um, one big challenge, kind of, I, Jelani alluded to this a little bit, is you know, we're kind of drawing from like multiple niches at the same time. So, you know, we get we get a lot of people that will like drop in, um, especially like leftists throughout the city. But um, in terms of like members who are there, you know, let's say every class or most classes, um, just to be kind of, you know, participants. And so there's more training partners. Um, you know, it, you really need somebody who gets kind of hooked on jujitsu or whatever, you know, additional activities we're doing. And we do kind of, we're, we're in a, a period right now where, you know, if you're really into jujitsu and you want to be like, you know, competitive and train a, a lot, um, you know, three days a week might not be enough to, to keep you happy. So, you know, we're kind of, we, we need people who, you know, are both committed politically to the, to this kind of project. Um, but also, you know, who it's not a chore for them to show up three times a week. Like they really like training. Um, and, you know, so that, that, those are, those can be kind of some, um, some niches that, you know, there's not a ton of overlap between a lot of times. So yeah, if, I mean, and also, you know, it's not like we expect anyone to train exclusively with us. You know, a lot of our members do other, you know, train other places. Um, you know, we would love to build into a space where, you know, we could just be like your exclusive gym, you do everything there. But um, so yeah, if anybody out there like 
thinks like, oh, you know, I'd love to, to check them out, but I could only stop in like once every month or two. That's perfectly fine. We love, you know, we have a lot of visitors. Um, we love that. But yeah, I mean, um, it is definitely a challenge. And anybody else who's looking to, to start this kind of thing, um, you know, you do really need to have a, a, a good sustainable program. You need like a core group that's very committed. And it's hard to get that if, you're, if you don't just love do like whatever you're doing. And what about material needs? What are some of the things y'all need money for? And is there a way people can help out online? We do have a GoFundMe that um, I, it's, uh, we, we can stick that in like the, in the description, right, Sam? Yeah, I'll put that in the show notes. Okay, cool. Yeah, so we do have, uh, we do have an active GoFundMe. Um, we have, there's like a couple of, um, there's a couple of needs that like I think about a lot. Um, one thing is that we, we would we would love to be able to have a crash pad so we could you know like really um, work on our, our our judo throws a lot. That's you know that's that's very much me thing. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> and then um, we've also are trying to um, we also need some to get some materials to finish up uh, like our kind of lockerish room uh, space um, for people because you know um, we just want to make sure that we have we have just some of those like basic not basic, but some of those like facility um, needs that we that we want to you know have for people like have those um, as much in place as possible because the space that we have was pretty much like raw. It was like basically like the like the footprint basement, and so we've been doing we've been you know um, like we've where it's it's one of those things where it's like it's fully operational, um, but there are definitely some things that we want uh, and need to just to kind of fill the space and also just to make sure. That like all the facilities, all the things that people need um, are going to be there in a way that's like, you know, that, that's comfortable and affirming for everyone. And we do also have rent to pay every month. <laughs> this is also true. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure there's like running costs as far as cleaning supplies and mending stuff and like mats need to get replaced every once in a while. So there's a lot of running costs as well. Then also other variables that you don't even know you need money for. And then something happens, something breaks. and You're like, oh, we need money for this, too. Yeah, like the like the flood we had, Miles. We had a we had a flood like like a, like a but like like eight weeks ago. That was just like a nightmare to deal with. So there's also a need for a treasury where you just have extra cash just in case. Not everybody is going to check the show notes. So for people who wanted to find that, like let's say they go on GoFundMe, what can they search on there to find your specific GoFundMe? Um, I think if you just search GoFundMe Neighborhood Martial Arts Project, it should come up. Now. I remember early on, Jelani and I talked about running a gym completely decentralized and flat, no teachers and no rankings and maybe no structure. And I know Jelani comes from the black radical tradition. And it was he who said, that's too idealistic and that actually a good idea. And then in our old Facebook group, which had a lot of people, especially marginalized people and women, they said making it unstructured and flat would actually be its own form of gatekeeping because only men who've already trained and feel confident would feel comfortable doing self-study style environment, right? So I've been training since almost since I was born. I almost forget, right, what it feels like to be somebody who doesn't know anything. So how do you all balance that where you don't want the teachers to become like cult leaders, like we see in commercial gyms, but where you also give power and autonomy to the students and also to the neighborhood? And I know that's an evolving process, but where is MMAP starting from? For me, 
because I have a teaching background, um, and m- my teaching style, like in a classroom, has always been like project oriented and student led as much as possible, um, with like really kind of conscientious scaffolding. Um, is something that I is since that's like my teaching background, like, you know, and as we've talked about a lot, Sam, like the way that you do one thing is kind of the way that you do all things. Um, that definitely like influences the way that, um, that I, way that I lead class. And I think about it just as that, like, you know, if when I show up to the gym, like I'm not the teacher, I'm leading class that day. Um, and for me, like, that's an important kind of like psychological distinction because there's two things. First, it makes it so that way, like, I'm not like, so much feeling like I'm in charge or I'm the authority, but that like I'm leading people through something that like I've planned out that's going to give them something. Um, and that what it gives them is less about like me deciding what it gives them, but what it can lead to. Um, so, you know, so one of the things that I do a lot um, is I, I try to solicit feedback from students that are training, especially if it's something that like is either new to them or something that I'm teaching because like I've noticed it being like it being a, there being a pattern of like difficulty or problems with it. Um, and so for me, like that's a lot of how I kind of try to eliminate like a sort of like a strict hierarchy while it's still being clear that like, okay, you know, this is the person that's leading class and we're, you know, following along with what they're doing, but there's like almost constant opportunities um, for feedback and input. Like I might be teaching something and like I forget or like I lose sight of one detail and like Miles chimes in with it. And I'm like, thank you for that because I might, I would have probably forgotten that otherwise. Or, you know, if you know, when a student is having difficulty, you know, with a technique and I, you know, and, you know, and in helping them, I can figure out why, then that comes back to the whole group. And we can say, hey, if you encounter this, this is how to kind of solve that problem. And then, you know, even in just like, you know, after, you know, a period of drilling and, you know, going to, you know, um, you know, some, 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 some shorter positional rounds, like seeing how people take what we've practiced, like in our technique portion of class, and like apply it to um, a situation that is, you know, is relatively controlled because it's positional sparring, but like free and not like, you know, your opponent can do different things um, and you can make adjustments based on what they're doing. And then it becomes live in a way and then, you know, can solicit feedback that way. And then also as instructors, like, you know, do what good instructors should do, make observations, both in terms of, okay, how are they doing this? A, B, what mistakes am I seeing? And then off of that B question, how much, like, where are those mistakes coming from? Are they coming from like an oversight of something that like I wasn't explicit about that maybe I should have been or or something like that? It's interesting you ask this because we actually um, have attempted throughout our history to to kind of... um, encourage like people who don't feel like they have the expertise or don't feel like they're instructors to lead classes. And we have never been able to get anyone to do it. (laughs) Um, 
I think par- partially, you know, it, it might be different if you ha- like start from that kind of model. Um, but especially if you've had kind of, you know, instruction and you have like a structured class, um, it, you know, it, it can't, it is like very intimidating for somebody to feel like, okay, now I have to step in and lead this. Um, and we've even suggested like, okay, let's get a little group. Um, and yeah, I, I totally agree um, that it is, it, it is very intimidating if you don't already have that background. Um, I do think, you know, now that we're kind of talking about this, one thing that kind of stands out to me is there's definitely a, a kind of a different feel to, um, you know, I've taught a lot of classes in like a commercial gym. I've taught here. It, when If I'm just teaching the class and kind of dictating, okay, like now we do this, now we do that. Um, I have everything kind of, you know, an agenda for what we're doing. Um, it has a much different feel than even introducing kind of just some variety. So like Alejandro leads the warmups, Jelani does a takedown. You know, maybe I teach a guard pass or sweep, and then, you know, we all work on some positional sparring and then have a discussion afterwards. Um, I find that that encourages, you know, when when we have that kind of more dispersed instruction um, and more involvement from people, it does feel like it's easier for, you know, other participants to like chime in with, you know, their own questions or even some feedback like, hey, you know, it seems like this might this reminds me of something we were doing the other day. Could we do this here? Um, so, yeah, no, I, I definitely think, um, you know, it is hard, especially with like something like, you know, jujitsu that's like a, a, can get very technical. Um, if you don't have like guidance in some areas, um, a lot of times you can just kind of end up either creating and reinforcing bad habits or just wasting a lot of time on, you know, s- things that, or, or wasting a lot of energy when, you know, you could just be making small adjustments. So yeah, I, I definitely agree that it, there is a place for kind of experience and expertise. Um, but I think it is kind of, you know, th- there has to be some kind of balance and especially in a program like ours, which, you know, that's, that's something that we're always trying to examine, um, you know, be self-critical and, you know, it, figure out better ways to do things so if anybody has suggestions too (laughs) we're always open we're always looking for for suggestions on how to be more inclusive and also how to um yeah just you know be be a better program so that uh, yeah always please if anybody hearing this has any ideas or has something that's worked for them shoot us a message on instagram or you know get in touch because we'd love to hear about it one of the things that, that I think is really embedded in terms of what we do, um, like when, when each of us is running class, is I think is having like a really deep respect for the for the learner's desire to learn. And I think that's an easy thing, especially in martial arts and especially in you know jujitsu and like you know in commercial gyms where you do have these hierarchies where if like the black belt says so, then like you know then like you don't really have a voice. You don't really have a say. Like you don't have any input at all. Um, and I think that like that sort of ethos of, you know, of, of, of like, you know, having an authentic respect for someone who's shown up to class, who's taken time, you know, and travel and, you know, and whatever to, to spend this time on this mat with you. Um, like, I think that, I think that, I think that, that respect for um, the learner's desire to learn does two things. First, it makes it so 
like the way that you're teaching is less becomes less and less about like my expertise and more about like what do they need what do they want <laughs> um and then also helps to show that like you know you're still a learner too um and that like you know that that in a lot of ways that like you know like like as the sort of in kind of like educational parlance like you know a good teacher teaches a student and a good student teaches the teacher and i think that some of that kind of dynamic um comes out you know you know in our class actually just like the other night like um one of our students um was like was like really excited to show me like this catch wrestling <laughs> move um that he'd learned that i'd like never seen before and it was really really cool you know what i mean and so and i know like i mean i've definitely been to gyms where instructors would take umbrage over something as minor as that you know what i mean um but I think when you have a space and you have an environment and you have um, you have a way of relating to people that's about mutuality, you then have these you know these um, these kind of dialogues um, in from multiple different directions. And like you know, um, yes, the people that come to your class like they should be able to take something away from that class when they walk out of the door that they didn't have before. Um, but also, you know, on a lot of those nights, like I do the same thing too. Like I'm like, you know, like I taught this, you know, this guard pass or I taught this, um, I taught this throw and like, I realized something or I learned something that like I wouldn't have had I not done it with this group of people. Jelani, you already mentioned how your teaching background informs how you teach martial arts. But what about your writing background and fiction and literature background? How does that inform your views on martial arts and this project? It's funny. It's funny. Like, you know, there's the, uh, there's the, there's the classic Nas line of like, you know, um, the rap game kind of reminds me of the crack game. Um, <laughs> and I always feel like um, the fight game reminds me of the right game. Um, both, in the, both in the obvious senses, like the obvious senses being um, they're incredibly difficult long-term skills to learn where you where quite often you never feel like oh i'm very good at this um and also you know uh <laughs> like not really having much opportunity to, to make a decent living <laughs> and either of them um are definitely two of the ones that i think about the most um but i do think about them in in similar ways in terms of thinking about um how form and expression where they meet um and how it's important if i'm going to express something i need to give it a form but that form isn't a rigid thing that form is very much dependent on like what i want to express and through the process of doing that of trying to do that um of struggling to do that um arriving at like the form that's going to allow for that expression in the most effective way that like I can as, as a human being, like as a person. Um, and I think the same thing is true um, for martial arts too, where having like a basic sense of structure is important, but not something for you to like rigidly latch onto 
but it's something to kind of use as guideposts and things that are that you can shift and move because, well, they're going to shift and move because you're not standing still. Your partner or your opponent is not standing still, and you have to be able to react to things. Some things that you can you can predict, um, and some that like you really can't. Um, and then also doing it in such a way that also like leaves room for you know for spontaneity, where you intentionally don't answer certain things. Because like how and why you arrive at a particular answer is actually part of the answer. Um, and so I think about those things a lot. Um, I think I honestly think about those things more about like my own kind of personal martial arts and like where I am, like, you know, with my jujitsu than like teaching. Um, I tr- when I'm teaching, I try to create you know, a scenario in an environment where people can do that, you know, can do that thing. But when I think about writing, like when I think about writing and I think about martial arts, I think about both of them as like, you know, a, um, a practitioner who, um, like wants to just like learn, explore and enjoy it as much as I can for as long as I'm here. And those are the sort of the ways that like, I think about it. Like, you know, if, um, <laughs> so in, in just our own, you know, um, you know, training, even just like, you know, um, on the side or before class or, you know, or after class or whatever, um, I just like this past summer was like the summer of the Barambolo for me. Um, so it was like lots of, lots and lots of miles an hour doing lots and lots of Barambolo training. Um, and so for me, like part of that was like, obviously like learning, like, okay. And like focusing on like, okay, this is the structure of the Barambolo. This is where this needs to be, this is where that needs to be. But then also thinking about like, okay, based on like, you know, my style and my game, like where are my entries, where are my entries to the bolo? What in, you know, when my opponent or, you know, or training partner reacts to it and they start defending it, what can I do to be able to like negate that defense? Or if their defense is beating me, like what can I transition to? Um, And those sorts of things. So, it's about, you know, practicing and improving my Barambolo, but not in like this like pure, like kind of stratified technical sense that doesn't exist in a context. Um, but doing it in a way where it's in a context from the beginning um, is really how I think about martial arts and learning martial arts a lot. Like that's, that's definitely like very core to how I think about and approach, um, you know, anything with, you know, anything related to martial arts, but particularly like things that I'm not great at, um, or um, things that are just new. If you love the Southpaw Project, become one of our financial supporters. It'll help us supplement the cost of running this project, the incredible time and energy we put into it seven days a week, and you'll be giving us some breathing room, not only to juggle Southpaw with our day jobs, but also to expand Southpaw into other areas. We can't exist without your contributions. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at southpawpod.com. Miles, you've done the most martial arts teaching. So what are lessons from your years of training and teaching that you think are still valuable for this project and also things you always wished you could change? One of the, thing, one of the things that's for me as like a martial artist, I think one of the things that drew me to jujitsu is that there 
there are very flashy moves that are still effective. <laughs> um, I mean, I just, I, that's, I mean, I'm drawn to like the aesthetic of martial arts. Um, and that's something like, you know, that I try to, that I kind of embrace and try to impart is that like, look, you know, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, just, I want to learn how to like win in a life and death struggle. Like maybe you just want to do something that looks cool. And a bunch of people like, ooh and ah, when you, when they see it from the side of the mat. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I mean that, so that, that's kind of like my, you know, my, like how my jujitsu and my my martial arts <laughs> ethos is 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 um is structured but yeah so i think some of the big things for me um is i find a lot of jujitsu tends to be or instruction um tends to be like very disjointed like you just learn random moves this instructor like you know saw this on youtube yesterday wants they want to teach that um so like really being conscious of um like the i guess curriculum but also just like the development of individual students and trying to make sure that like everything that you're kind of connecting different things um and i also feel like you know one thing that we try to do differently at least my experience in a lot of jujitsu has kind of been like okay you get shown a smattering of moves and it's up to you to kind of like figure out how they connect um you know, come up with re your own system of, of learning. Um, and, you know, the, the few kind of encounters I've had with instructors that have been, you know, a little bit more systematic about it has, has really, you know, that's when I've kind of progressed the most. Um, but one thing that we've, I've never really encountered is kind of that, like, you know, being systematic about the, the program as a whole and the training room as a whole. And, you know, kind of going back to like, you know, when when you're drilling a move if like if if i'm drilling a move and my partner just falls the instant i touch their leg like i don't really get reps there so you know you kind of have to have like everybody if 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 everybody in the room is on the same level um in terms of like expectations and intro, like you know looking to kind of if i'm if i'm your partner you're drilling a move on me i want to be an active partner and try to um, you know, give you the best reps that are possible. Um, so, you know, kind of that kind of, um, you know, I, I've had mixed experiences, but that's really been the zone in which I've, you know, found the most improvement in myself. I think one of the things that I think about, like, um, kind of having a, a kind of systemized approach, um, one of the things that I think that's really good for, especially in jiu-jitsu, is giving people like context for techniques so that way whatever they're learning like they have a like for lack of a better term kind of like a sorting method for like where this goes um and then also like what makes it significant or like worth learning you know um and so that way they can see you know um how it fits into like jujitsu as a whole um, but then also how like gets them to start, I think, thinking about more open-ended questions, which is, okay, like, for example, having an eye, having a sense of how something fits, how a technique fits into jujitsu as a whole is really important. But then having the open-ended question of like, okay, how does this fit into like jujitsu as I use it, you know, um, 
I think is also really, really important, both because that answer is almost definitely going to change like as you develop. Um, and it also makes it so the learner is like an integral part of the learning process as opposed to like, you know, um, shout out to Freire, um, as opposed to like that sort of kind of really factory model type of education that that is that is seen a lot in martial arts schools where like, you know, you learn a technique on one day, you learn a technique the other day, and it's like how sitcoms used to be where it's like it's like a reset every time. And you and none of these things, the relationship between any of these things is never is never established. Um and so I think that that's also um something that, you know, um that we 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 certainly you know, are striving for in our classes that we want our students to take, you know, out of um, out of any class that they show up to. I think one of the the biggest things you've already mentioned this. Um, I think we've all maybe mentioned it once, but is really avoiding that um, kind of creating idols out of instructors. It's, I mean, it is especially you know, if let's say you're learning a move and you're really struggling with it. And, you know, I, I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I can always do this, but I could come over and say like, oh, you know what, you need to put your, you know, you need to get your hip here and, and, you know, wedge your knee like this. And then all of a sudden you can pull off this move easily. Um, or even like just training with your instructor and, you know, there's, they have so much more experience than you that it, it almost is like, feels like it's like a mystical thing. <laughs> and I still experience this, you know, when I train with certain people too, but it's, it's very easy for that kind of response psychologically to to then start to spill over into like oh man you know this person is in this, is an expert on everything they're a guru and um i mean i've even you know it makes me very uncomfortable like i'm teaching a class and you know a- after the class somebody comes over and like starts asking me for like financial or life advice and you know I'm like, what, what, what makes you think I'm qualified to, to be telling you this? Like, I just taught you how to like flip somebody over your head. That doesn't mean I can tell you how to, you know, balance your checkbook. Um, but yeah, so I, I do think, you know, you definitely have to, that's something that even in a space like ours, I think there's always that risk when you're, you know, kind of, kind of like just by the nature of what we're doing we have some people who are much more experienced and it is something we have to constantly wary for both in terms of like that, you know, instructors don't take that kind of, you know, that kind of position and take advantage of it. But then also, you know, just being vigilant of like, you know, people being overly deferential and like starting to kind of develop a culture of like, um, oh, you know, let's let's ask the instructor, and you know, yeah, like personal deference. Um, that's something that I definitely, you know, I can, I even occasionally feel that in our space, um, you know, in in various moments, and it's something that I think, you know, if you're conscious of it, um, and you know, just constantly reflect on that, and something you you know, speak talk about it openly, um, it, you know, it's a little bit easier to combat. But yeah, I mean, I don't I don't necessarily think that's just true of martial arts but really anytime you have some like an expertise um it's 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 easy to kind of allow that to spill over into a lot of other areas that (laughs) i'd like for you to actually continue on this thought because i want to hear some 
of your experiences as far as like cautionary tales you've learned from commercial gyms that you don't want to replicate or allow in Nmap. And I want Jelani to jump in on this as well. But let's start with you because you're already talking about this, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean I've even seen um like kind of using that instructor position to, as leverage for like business opportunities. Um, you know, I feel like that's pretty common. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, and obviously, you know, another kind of, you know, hope uh, obvious example is like, um, you know, instru- instructors working out with like roman or developing like romantic relationships with people under them. I know that's like a huge issue um, throughout the jujitsu community. To your point, I think that's a good highlight too. Not just the sexual assault and also grooming and romantic relationships. I think people now are more aware of that, but there's also the other aspect of like money where sometimes I've seen instructors leverage their position to borrow money from students. Right, right. Or get them to like invest in some business idea. That also happens that I don't think anybody ever talks about that, but that happens a lot. And then you sometimes get the disgruntled students like, I lent this person a bunch of money and then the instructor can turn the school against them. It's like, this is a greedy whatever. And that does happen. There is sometimes like a greedy silent partner, but there is also sometimes using that power and authority in other ways, which can also involve money. Right, right. And also, I mean, another big thing is kind of, you know, um, clicks developing within gyms um, is another thing that I've seen a lot where, you know, you have like the competition click and, you know, they're the most valuable to the instructor because they're the ones going out and getting the medals and, um, you know, building publicity for the gym. And then kind of everything gets built around them and, you know, they can get away with whatever. Um, So, I mean, you know, that's kind of related, um, you know, that kind of being overawed by, by certain people, but there's also kind of just like straight up um, economic you know, reasons for that as well. Like, oh, th- th- these are our, you know, bringing in the bread. We, you know, we cater to them. Um, so that's, you know, that's a huge thing I've seen where, you know, people come in that really could benefit from, from training, um, really seem to be interested and love it and just don't ever get that, you know, kind of personal attention or get anyone that makes them feel like, oh, you know, they're actually invested in in me learning this and getting better, and then they kind of you know either lose interest or um, so yeah that's that's something that you know we try to um, you know constantly be like thinking about you know are we are we including everyone in this you know is this you know it, we even do things like um, like we'll have a class planned and somebody who's never trained before shows up and so we'll have like a little two minute meeting before class all right you know, we're going to change what we did, we were going to do. Let's, you know, let's, let's do this instead. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's another big thing that I've seen is kind of those, those in-group, out-group dynamics that can develop. Yeah. I, I think kind of, you know, echoing what both of you kind of like spoke to is I think, um, and this is where like, I think like the, the social aspect of training, um, and having like a training community, um, and, being like really conscientious about that is like is really significant because um because similar with like you know like you know the money thing and like you know like just the really horrible underbelly of you know of grooming sexual violence and so forth that's you know ubiquitous across martial arts but just i think the most obvious in uh in jujitsu um i think it's 
it's really important to kind of be really constantly aware of like power dynamics and how they are playing out. Um, and I think one of the things that, that, you know, that I, that, you know, that I try to do, and I think is something that like, you know, um, is, is part of what we do, um, at the gym is again, to like, to put it back to the community, um, and to put it back to like the whole group meeting. So it becomes less of um, this one person has authority vested in them and more about that, like, you know, their authority really comes from the fact that, like, they're teaching us something. That's where the authority stops and starts. Um, And that authority is fundamentally drawn from the, you know, from the group, which is a, a community that essentially is saying, like, I am, con- we are consenting to learn this the way that you are teaching. It. Um, and so I think like just being conscious of those, um, those dynamics, how they can play out, um, and then how to offset them. Um, I usually find that like in those, like when I was talking about those little moments where it kind of feels like, you know, you're being put a bit on like a pedestal or looked at as like the, you know, it's like the expert on like, you know, on lots of things. Um, is to like is to kind of shift that back to the whole group like if someone is coming to me with like you know um something that's not related to jujitsu or something that like you know that i have some kind of demonstrable expertise in um i mean the first thing i'm just gonna say is i don't know (laughs) um but then i'll also say like oh someone else might know about this like hey does anyone know about like, for example, like resources for X, Y, and Z, or like a good place for this or that, because like, I'm not a receptacle of like, you know, of like wide swaths of knowledge. Like, you know, I mean, it is even with jujitsu, like, I feel like I know a little bit about a little bit. Um, and that the more I learn, the less, like, I realize like the less I know. Right. Um, and so I think, um, so I, I think that, like works as like a good sort of like in the moment kind of countermeasure um, to to even just like implicitly get the focus off of like the person with all the answers to like oh yeah this is actually a group this is a community and when we need help about for things it's not that we shouldn't ask it's that like that there's a community that we have to be able to rely on when we need help when we have questions like when we don't know something um and as opposed to attaching to one person that we expect to have all the answers which they definitely don't have um in which can is like the the slippery slope of all those sorts of problems that miles was describing so where can people find more information about nmap um well let's see i think honestly the um the easiest way to um to to kind of just find information and to connect with us in some way it's probably our instagram like we don't have a um we don't have a like a standalone um website um we have uh we 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 use our our instagram for a bunch of different things definitely some like political messaging um nerding out on uh on martial arts stuff that like you know that we're into um uh, that's related to like what we're teaching or stuff that um, 
you know, we're just interested in. Um, but you can uh, check us out on uh, on Instagram. Um, we are at nmap.phl. So if you search that up, you should find us. We also, um, one of the other things that we do with, uh, with our social media is as much as possible, um, try to like share techniques or especially like sharing drills, like drills that we use um, in class. So that way um, people who, you know, may not be anywhere near us um, have something that they can try to implement in their own training. Or if they're doing something really cool, like, hey, like I'm not going to deal with these like, you know, like reactionary shitheads at the gym. And, you know, we're going to, you know, me and uh, a group of friends or comrades are going to start our own, um, you know, kind of training group or study group um, to be able to provide like video clips that people can use for their own training that are again, less about like, we have all the answers and more about like, this is a tool that we use to help us with our own training so that like we can improve and so that way we can get better um, that you can use too. We also have an email address. It's on nmapphilly at gmail.com. And Jelani and I both monitor that. We're pretty good about getting back to people. So if somebody is not referred to you from somebody who already knows about the project, the first step then is to contact you through the Instagram or by email. Yeah, exactly. One of the two, um, you know, just hit us up and we can have a conversation. Well, thank you both for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having us. This has been a great experience and, you know, it's an awesome conversation. Yeah, thank you so much. You're a huge inspiration for us, so keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, 100%. And um, yeah, hopefully this relationship develops further. Yeah. You got to come to Philly. (laughs) I will. If you like this episode and you like what we do, support us on Patreon. We also have the Liberation Martial Arts Program if you want to train with us from wherever you are. There's lots of techniques, exercises, theory, pedagogy, and even political theory. You can find Liberation Martial Arts online, also on Patreon. You can find Southpaw merch at our store. You can find all pertinent links on the show notes. With all that said, thanks for listening. Southpaw.